also in Act 6, we see another very vital role of deacons, which I think is often overlooked, and that is protecting and promoting church unity. Because the, the, the very crisis that the seven in Act 6 were raised up to resolve was a crisis of unity. There, there was mistrust, there was conflict brewing in that congregation, and the deacons, or, or the seven, are deputized in order to solve that problem, which was threatening to fracture the very unity for which Christ died to achieve. Um, and so I talk about deacons as shock absorbers in the life of a congregation. Uh, your deacons should not be your most contentious members. Your deacons should be those who relieve conflict, not accelerate it. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Matt Smetherst. Matt serves as managing editor of the Gospel Coalition and is currently in the process of planting River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. He's also the author of Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church from Crossway. Today, Matt and I discuss the important role that deacons, model servants, should play in the life of a local church. He walks us through the biblical basis for viewing the diaconate as a formal office. He explains the proper relationship between deacons and a church's pastors and elders. And he answers the often asked question, can women be deacons too? Let's get started. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So you open your new book with a sentence that puts two words together that I don't think I've ever heard put together before in a single sentence. Uh, you write, the Nazis, it turns out, did not like deacons, <laughs> uh, which has to be one of the most surprising opening lines to a book I've ever read. So I wonder, help us understand what what is the connection between Nazis and deacons? Yeah, well, it's a fascinating little anecdote that I came across uh, in 1940 when the, the Netherlands fell to Germany. Deacons in the Dutch Reformed Church rose up to kind of care for the politically oppressed. Uh, they, they gave them food and, and offered secret refuge. And the Nazis caught wind of this. When they realized what was happening, they actually um, had the audacity to decree that the office of deacon should be eliminated. And <laughs> wow. so the Dutch believers responded in a synod in 1941, I think, and, and they said something to the effect of, you know, whoever, whoever interferes, whoever touches the diaconate touches, uh, touches the task of the ch church and, and whoever lays hands on the deacon lays hands on worship. And so the Germans, uh, the historians tell us, back down. Hmm. Wow. So they actually they actually call off the, the decree. That's right. That's amazing. Did the uh, did the same thing happen with pastors uh, in Germany, or was it there's something unique about the diaconate that was particularly uh, uh, strong against the Nazis? Well, uh, of course, uh, if you if you you know know the story of folks like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, there uh, there certainly was opposition to uh, confessing church pastors who refused to 
refused to bow the knee to the Third Reich. But um, at least in the Netherlands, as far as I know, uh, the Nazis did not try to eliminate the office of pastor, but mm. they did try to eliminate the office of deacon. That's so interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, and that kind of does raise up this this topic of deacons, which is um, a topic that I think for some people can be a little bit confusing. Uh, we're probably all familiar with the term, and we may even be in churches that have deacons, and yet there can be a little bit of confusion or, or misunderstanding about what deacons are actually called to do, uh, how they function in the life of a local church relative to other roles in the church. Uh, and, and sometimes I think the end result is we don't actually see them as, in, as important as they maybe truly are. So I wonder if you could start us off by just concisely summarizing how would you define a deacon? I would say a deacon is a model servant or an exemplary servant that is recognized by a congregation and who is installed into an office in order to assist the elders or pastors by spotting and meeting tangible needs, uh, protecting and promoting church unity, and helping to facilitate the ministry of the Word. Hmm. There's a lots of components there to that definition that I think we'll unpack as we keep going, but uh, one of the things that you note in your new book is that the Bible's treatment of deacons is spare, but nevertheless sufficient. So I wonder if you could um, help us walk through a few of the key passages that speak to uh, this idea of deacons in the local church. Yeah, and one uh, note that I sound early in the book, uh, which is worth mentioning here, is that precisely because the Bible doesn't say a lot about deacons, we ought to approach this topic with a, a commensurate degree of humility. Um, in other words, we ought to um, be big-hearted and generous toward those who might lean or land in a, in a slightly different place than we do when it comes to how um, they understand deacons. Nevertheless, the Bible is not silent on the, on the matter. It does give us guardrails, and um, I think that oftentimes what we see is churches either unduly elevating the role of deacon or unduly reducing the role of deacon. So some mm. churches will, will kind of unduly elevate the role of deacon to that of de facto elders, but other churches will will wrongly reduce the diaconal role to essentially a building and grounds team or, or a group of glorified janitors. Right. And, and, and both extremes fall short of the Bible's vision for this office. Um, and you asked about the relevant passages. There are two explicit passages about the office of deacon, one implicit passage, and one debated one. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to just give you a very brief thumbnail sketch. The, the uh, two ex explicit passages are Philippians 1.1 and 1 Timothy 3.8-13. Uh, so Philippians 1.1 is just a passing reference at the beginning of Paul's letter where he's greeting the church at Philippi, and he says, to the elders and deacons. Hmm. And then 1 Timothy 3 is Paul's list of qualifications for the office in the first seven verses he's giving qualifications for elders and then he turns his attention in verse eight to qualifications for deacons and it's interesting there it's not so much a job description uh, or a skill set as it is right. a profile of a, a person's character the implicit 
passage about deacons, uh, which probably is is most famously associated with the office, would be Acts chapter 6. And the reason I say it's implicit is because the word deacon, um, the noun deacon, I should say, uh, only uh, never shows up. And yet Christians have always throughout church history uh, found that particular story to be relevant for the office of deacon because it's the story of the apostles and the seven and how the, the seven are raised up in order to deal with a brewing crisis in the church of Jerusalem in order to free the apostles to give their best energy and attention to the ministry of the word and prayer. Hmm. And as that, I don't believe Act 6 is necessarily establishing the office of deacon, but I do believe it's setting in motion a pattern that becomes the position. And uh, by the time we get a little later on in the New Testament, we see the role of the apostles in the seven in Act 6 being worked out and kind of paralleled in the respective relationship between elders and deacons. And then the fourth um, passage in, in the Bible, which is debated, that's because it touches on the question of whether women um, may serve as deacons, and that's Romans 16.1, where Phoebe is referred to as a deacon. Uh, now, some will say that's just the general word for servant. Others will argue that's an uh, official church position. But those, yeah. that's that's it. That's that's all the Bible, the New Testament has to say about the office. Yeah. And I want to return to that question of, of women and their uh, potential service in that capacity in just a minute. But maybe one of the first questions that someone might have is, man, if, if there's only two passages that we kind of all acknowledge would explicitly speak to this question of this office in the church, and and that's really it. Uh, can we really be confident that this is something that uh, is that important? Like, is this something that we really need to be that concerned about? Or is there maybe some room here for, eh, it's, it's kind of important, but clearly not, not that big of a deal? Yeah, it's the flip side to what I said earlier. So on the one hand, we ought to, um, we ought to hold our position humbly understanding that the bible doesn't say much about it but the the flip side of that is is realizing that we should pay all the more attention to what it does say because we don't have that much material and so i think that any church that assumes that mere um human wisdom or pragmatic innovation or or denominational tradition is sufficient to uh, define the diaconate is doing a, a disservice to the all-sufficient Word of God because we do have passages like Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 which are meant to provide for us not only boundaries and guardrails but also a, a high and lofty vision for how this particular office in a church can cause the mission of the church to be accelerated. Hmm. So you mentioned four passages that perhaps refer to a formal office or role uh, of deacons in the local church. Uh, some of our listeners might be familiar with that word, the Greek word behind the, the English word deacon, which actually does appear in the New Testament, I think close to or over 30 times uh, throughout the New Testament. So one question I know is often asked is, uh, how confident should we be that there was a formal office or role called deacon 
and not that uh, all those references are simply to sort of an informal way that people were serving in the church or ministering in the church. Why do we know it was also an office? It's true that the vast majority of the time that uh, diakonos or diakonia, some of these words appear, it's it's referring in general to service or ministry, um, or even as more recent scholarship has demonstrated, even kind of acting um, with delegated authority on, on behalf, uh, at the behest of a, of a superior. But the reason Christians have for 2,000 years also seen a, 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 a formal office is because that word pretty clearly takes on a technical meaning in 1 Timothy 3 and Philippians 1.1. So Paul, when he says, to the elders and deacons in the church at Philippi, well, if deacons simply means servant-hearted people, it wouldn't make sense for him to say to the elders and to the servant-hearted people. Uh, mm, he's he, yeah. he's referring to the 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 two established offices in the church, um, and same thing in First Timothy three. He's giving specific standards for the character of those who would be installed into these two offices. Yeah, yeah. So then, speak to what are some of the things that deacons do, especially with scripture being. Uh, not having a ton of content there explaining exactly what their role should look like. Uh, many churches kind of view these things a little bit differently. So what would you say are some of the, the key responsibilities of a deacon? Yeah, the, the way I, I kind of um, I, I frame it in the book is that, is that at the broadest level, diaconal work encompasses three things in the life of the church kind of three three big buckets and of, of course there's there's overlap but there is the the spotting and meeting tangible needs and we, we certainly see precedent for that in a passage like act six also in act six we see another very vital role of deacons which i think is often overlooked and that is protecting and promoting church unity because mm. the 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 very crisis that the seven in Acts 6 were raised up to resolve was a crisis of unity. There, there was mistrust, there was conflict brewing in that congregation, and the deacons, or, or the seven, are deputized in order to solve that problem, which was threatening to fracture the very unity for which Christ died to achieve. Um, mm. And so... I talk about deacons as shock absorbers in the life of a congregation. Uh, your deacons <laughs> should not be your most contentious members. Yeah, your yeah. deacons should be those who relieve conflict, not accelerate it. And then the the other kind of major category would be serving and supporting the ministry of the elders. And of course, we're drawing that not only from Acts 6, but also from the kind of logical order that you see in the passages I mentioned earlier, to the elders first and deacons. So it seems like the diaconal office is subordinate to that of elders. Same thing in 1 Timothy 3. First, you have qualifications for elders, one of which is that, that an elder must be able to teach. And then you have qualifications for deacons, which are very similar, except they're not, uh, it doesn't say that they must be able to teach. So it seems like Perhaps the latter office is meant to serve and support 
the ministry of the word which characterizes the former office, that of elder. Hmm. Yeah, I want to dig into that a little bit. Uh, speaking maybe a little bit even more practically, what should that relationship look like between deacons and elders? Is it is it always the case that it's going to be a, a kind of position of authority and uh submission where the elders are kind of saying, hey, deacons, uh, we noticed this needs to be addressed, so why don't you go over there and handle that? And then, oh, this just came up. You need to go take care of that, figure out a plan for that. Uh, Is that the way it should always function, or are there any other dynamics there uh, that you would know? I think churches have freedom to structure the diaconate in different ways so long as the diaconate is marching to the beat of the elders. Um, In other words, what is disastrous in churches is when you have two separate power blocks Mm -hmm. and where you have a deacon board that is attempting to kind of check and balance the decisions of the elders. And sometimes, uh, you know, we can you you hear the work of pastors or elders described as spiritual work and then, you know, the, the role of deacons to be physical work and there can almost become this turfy territorial mentality where it's like, okay, if there's a spiritual issue, that's your purview elders, and we can't we can't speak into it. And if there is a you know tangible practical problem, that's our purview, and don't you dare speak mm-hmm. into it. I think I think that that again it, it really misses um, scripture's vision for both offices, and so. Um, whether or not, to, to answer your question specifically, whether or not you ha- th- you have a deacon board where, where the deacons all meet together or not, like in my own church, we just have individual kind of role-specific diaconates. And our deacons are not a board. They, they're not a deliberative body. They don't meet together. But each deacon who's 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 been installed into one of those roles as essentially uh, overseeing a, 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 an aspect of church life, and they're leading teams of volunteers, but they are reporting directly to the elders. Mm. And I think that there's wisdom in that model, but regardless of what you what your church does, the important thing is that um, the, the, the deacons are not competing with the elders for authority in the church, but that they are seeking to come alongside and serve and support. I think it was H.B. Charles who said that um, deacons lead by serving and elders serve by leading. Hmm. So it's not that deacons have no leadership whatsoever, but their leadership, unlike that of elders, is not um, the authoritative exercise of oversight over the whole congregation. It's more just the natural leadership that accrues to someone who has influence over a subset of church life. Yeah. So would you say then that deacons' authority, uh, when and if they have it, is always delegated from the elders? It always flows from the elders' decision and delegation? Yes. Of course, theologically, it's all downstream from King Jesus. And I'm a congregationalist, so so I even believe that you know a, a deacon only deacons only have authority insofar as the congregation has recognized them and installed them into the office. But yes, to to your point, it is um, it it is it is deacons who are being uh, 
delegated and deputized by the elders to fulfill fun- certain functions in the life of the church. So, so again, in my in my church, we will create diaconates and dissolve them according to the needs of the congregation at the time. So sometimes mm. we'll create a diaconate for a couple years if if it can relieve uh, relieve pressure from the staff pastors or the elders in a in a certain way, or if there's uh, like we we have a, a diaconate of foster care because there was um, a, a period in the life of our church a couple years ago where there were just a lot of families interested in fostering to adopt, and it was starting to drain uh, the staff pastors. So that we created a diaconate for it, but we've also dissolved diaconates when they've no longer served their original purpose. So I think there's freedom there. Yeah, that's really helpful. So what would you say to the pastor or maybe church planter who doesn't currently have elders or deacons? He's kind of a one-man show. What would be the priority then for him to pursue? Uh, Should he pursue finding some some people who could serve as deacons, or should he pursue, first and foremost, finding other men who could serve alongside him as elders? Definitely elders. Paul says to Titus in Titus 1.6, um, I instruct you to appoint elders in every town, not to appoint deacons in every town. I think there is a logical priority to the office of elder. And once a, a, a church has established a, a plurality of elders, pastors, I understand those words to be interchangeable, referring to the same office, then you can raise up deacons to come alongside them and prioritize tangible needs so that the elders can prioritize the spiritual well-being of the whole congregation. And again, it's not that deacons don't have a spiritual ministry. It is a spiritual ministry, but it's focused on practical needs. Yeah, yeah. Some churches seem to use the role of a deacon as a kind of first step for guys who are interested in becoming elders, who desire to be a pastor, whether paid or lay. What do you think of that? Is that a is that a healthy way to view the diaconate? No, it's certainly uh, the case that you know. I, I think it's a well intentioned model. Okay, so so I don't I don't want to you know just dismiss it outright. <laughs> but and it's certainly true. I should also add, Matt, that that some deacons will and should eventually be become elders. Uh, I I served in two diaconal roles before I became an elder. But the the diaconate is not a pit stop on the path to the pastorate. Uh, and I think when it's reduced to that, when it's reduced to kind of just training wheels for the next thing, that actually it's a disservice to both offices. Hmm. Yeah. So then let's get to that that question that's probably been looming out there in many people's minds thus far in our conversation. Uh, related to women. So what, what's your thought on whether or not women can and should be deacons in a local church? Well, I I opened the appendix. I reserved the question for an appendix because I don't want this particular topic to be the focus of this book. Um, and I think there are strong and valid arguments uh, for for both positions, and so I, I open the appendix by saying something like, you know, if you flipped here before reading the rest of the book, uh, <laughs> return, you know, shame on you. Return to the table of contents and try again. But I understand why people are going to do that because they're it, it. It's not only is are we just naturally curious about uh, kind of a hot button question like that, but it's also 
practically unavoidable because yeah, your church right. will either have uh, women deacons or not. I what I think is is, is that there um, that the that Christ does open the office of of deacon to qualified women, uh, and 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 you know in the book I, I I list several reasons for that after listing several uh, reasons why folks argue it's not open to them. I kind of try to make the best case for both sides and only really tip my hand at, at the end. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I do believe that uh, not only may qualified women serve as deacons, but churches who forbid that are, with the best of intentions, impoverishing themselves. Because I think mm. it's it's something that God has designed for the good of um, not just the women of the church, but the men as well. Yeah. So maybe if you could just briefly, what what would you say is the best concise argument for women serving in this office? And then on the flip side, if you can kind of jump into the shoes of someone who would see things a little differently, what's the best argument against that idea? Yeah, let me, let me actually uh, take your question in, in reverse order. So mm. I, I, I think that the best argument against women uh, serving as deacons is that there's no explicit example of it that's undisputed. So in 1 Timothy 3.11, the debate surrounds whether the word there should be translated wives, as in deacons' wives, or women, as in women deacons. Mm. And I, th- I think there are valid arguments for both sides. Same with Romans 16.1 when we're talking about Phoebe. Uh, you know, is is that referring to an official church office or not? Um, and, you know, you've heard me many times in this interview quote uh, from Acts 6 and appeal to Acts 6 as precedent. And yet the apostles, um, you know, told the congregation to appoint from among yourselves seven men. And so some would say, well, well, Shouldn't we also take our cues from from that precedent? Um, right. You asked me for one, but I, I just I ticked off a few. Sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, the reason, though, I'm not finally persuaded by those arguments is um, admittedly because of exegetical detail in some of these passages that that would probably be a little cumbersome to, to get into in a, in a podcast interview. But I'll, I'll just simply say um, I th- scripture nowhere forbids women deacons. And I think that if um, a church understands the office rightly, in other words, not as an office of authority, not as an office of teaching authority, but as an office of service, then I think the burden of proof is on the person who would say that, that women may not hold that office because we should not forbid what the Bible doesn't. Scripture nowhere says anything like, like you'll never find a verse that says, be subject to the deacons. But we do have in First Peter 5, be subject to the elders. You mm. never find a verse like, obey your deacons and submit to them. But we do have a verse to that effect about elders in Hebrews 13, 17. And so I just, for me, it's a matter of why forbid what the Bible doesn't. And then in First Timothy 3, 11 and in Romans 16, 1 and other places, I just think that the, the the more I personally studied the the texts themselves and read arguments from both sides, the more I was just persuaded that that the the, the best 
the best understanding here is that is that women may serve in the office. I'll just give you one um, one example, okay? Uh, in First Timothy three, those who argue that the word for Timothy three eleven should be translated wives, as in these are qualifications for male deacons, and then there's one sentence where he's talking about what their wives must be like. To me, it raises the question, well, why is there not a similar sentence in the passage immediately prior about elders? Right. I mean, if if it's important enough to talk about what a servant's wife must be like, shouldn't it also be important enough to talk about what a leader's wife must be like? But there's nothing to that effect in the list of qualifications for elders. And so I think it's more natural to take that reference in verse 11 to referring to uh, to referring to female deacons. Now, some will say, well, that's whiplash. He's going from talking about male deacons, then you're saying he's going to female deacons, and then suddenly back to male deacons. But I actually think that if you zoom out and look at the structure of that passage, it makes a lot of sense. You know, verses 8 to 10, he's giving you qualifications generally for deacons. And then mm. verse 11, specific qualifications for female deacons. Verse 12, specific qualifications for male deacons. And then verse 13, kind of a summary for all deacons. So mm. again, I, I I respect people who who land in a different place than me, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, I think that's some, I've heard that response that uh, to take that one verse, I think it was verse 12, in reference specifically to, to female deacons, the question is, well, why does he have so much to say about male deacons and then relatively little to say about female deacons? Uh, but you're kind of saying that actually some of those verses you would see applying to both genders of deacons, not just men. That's right, because m- most of what he's already said would apply to men and women. So even if he primarily has male deacons in view, when he says, and we- and the women, I don't think what he means is, and here are the only things they have to be concerned with. Right, right. I think it's just saying, you know, and also the women deacons must be dignified and not slanderers. So I think the flow of thought uh, is actually pretty, it's, you know, Peter said in Second Peter 3 that Paul can be hard to understand. So, yeah. you know, his flow of thought is not always easy to track with. But I think actually the more I studied First uh, Timothy 3, 8 to 13, the more clear his um, operating logic became at least mm-hmm. from my perspective. Yeah. So Matt, you're a Baptist, and uh, I too am a Baptist, and I'm sure many of our Baptist listeners right now will, will resonate with this question, but uh, it's not uncommon among Baptist churches to find the leadership structure set up around a, a single pastor or maybe a couple staff pastors, and then they don't have an elder board, but they do have a deacon board that sort of serves in this dual capacity as sort of elders and deacons. People sometimes jokingly refer to them as delders. Hmm. Uh, again, all the Baptists know what we're talking about here. So I wonder, can you speak to that? What's behind that? If that's if that's not the model that Scripture seems to pretty clearly teach, why is that so common among some churches today? One point that I, I make in the book that is very important to establish is that the reason this model exists in many churches is because of leadership crises. So, uh, and, and I think, you know, it can be easy for someone who cares about deacons and has studied the office to kind of want to go and slap the hand of any of any church who has 
elders functioning in a def- I'm sorry, deacons functioning in a in a pseudo elder capacity. Right. But I think we, we, we have to just recognize that 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 this kind of pseudo elder executive board model of deacons is a configuration that's often downstream from emergency situations where a church's deacons were left scrambling for solutions and had to kind of step up and into a leadership vacuum in the wake of a departing pastor. Mm. And so I, I genuinely want to say, you know, if, if, if there's a, a deacon listening to this in that kind of uh, model, you know, if, if you haven't been grasping for power, but, but you've ri- rather just risen to take responsibility in, in an unstable leadership situation, then I am very grateful for you. Um, but I, I still think that that, um, that model not only is unbiblical, but is yielded some pretty bad fruit in churches mm. um, because, because it, it creates confusion at the highest level of leadership in the church because it's not always clear who's really in charge. Um, you know, there are deacon boards that really can hold a pastor's feet to the fire if he doesn't, yeah. you know, sort of march to the beat of their drum. And um, oftentimes it can become kind of kind of a, a, an issue of um, territorial um, self-protecting uh, power. And, and that's that's just a, a, a very ugly thing. And so what one of the, the purposes of this book, Matt, is to say to deacons who are in that kind of model, you know, who are functioning kind of as de facto elders, to come to them and say, actually, I'm not asking to demote you from, I'm not trying to demote you from the varsity team to the JV team. When you function, rather, when when you function as an elder, no one in your church is functioning as a deacon. That, that, that's part of the problem is that yeah. um, your church is missing out on the Bible's glorious vision for the office of deacon and what it's meant to accomplish when you are not when you don't stay in your lane. So those are just a few thoughts on on a perennially vexing question. Yeah, yeah. Both roles are so important and they both complement each other in this ideal sense. It's not as if uh, one is fundamentally necessary and the other one is, is just sort of optional. That's right. And remember, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, some churches sort of wrongly elevate the role, some wrongly reduce the role. Well, in those that kind of wrongly reduce the role, you, you know, folks who become deacons are often those who are handymen who can fix things. But in, in those in churches where the role is wrongly elevated, the qualifications for deacon aren't really First Timothy 3, but often they can become, well, is this person does he have a good business mind is you know is he a wizard with an excel spreadsheet things like that which again um those can be welcome assets uh that that a guy or or a gal can bring to the table but that is not what qualifies someone to serve the church of god as a deacon yeah right right Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking some time today to talk with us and uh, help us understand this biblical idea, this role of deacons a little bit better, and uh, and hopefully uh, help us to pursue a more uh, biblical vision of what the local church is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to function. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's an honor to talk with you, and it's an honor to have gotten to, to write the book for Crossway. Thank you, brother. 
That was Matt Smethurst on the importance of deacons for the life of a local church. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.